Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, let's get ready to start this now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today. We're going to be doing technically the Addicts Anonymous podcast, but we're also going to be recording it for YouTube. Um, today we have Lynette L. How are you today, Lynette? I am good. I'm glad Wonderful. to hear that. I'm doing well. I'm I'm better now that I'm speaking with you. <laughs> so l- let's just dive into this and talk about it. You know, I'm I'm excited to hear your story. First of all, we've never really gotten into it too much, and I'm really, really grateful that you, uh, I guess, trust us enough to come on the show and share your story. So, what was your childhood yeah. like? Oh goodness, I was born to. Teenage parents, my mom and dad were 16 and 17. By the time my mom had me, she was 17. And she was still, she was only a junior in high school and it became a parent. And then 10 and a half months later, my brothers came along. (laughs) So I had a, and we had sibling rivalry right away. I could tell. (laughs) But uh, you know, growing up with a uh, young parent, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of growing up with them. I remember a lot of things. Um, unfortunately, both the, my parents were married and divorced two times by the time I was five. And they got married the first time because of me, the second time because of my other brother, my, my the third child. And, uh, it just didn't work. So they married, real quick, they married each other twice? Yes. Yes. Divorced twice also. Yeah. So, you know, it was pretty pretty chaotic. I, I grew up, you know, in a pretty chaotic um, household. Not intentionally, I'm sure. You know, they were young and, and didn't know what they were doing and Unfortunately, that has a big effect on, on kids, and, and we all make mistakes as parents. I, I am a parent and a grandparent now at this stage of my life, and yes, sorry, we've I've made a lot of mistakes. But I was a horrible teenager. I actually left home at 14. Um, had deemed that I was going to make my parents' lives living hell, and I was very successful at that. I had Why my was mom that? and stepdad did, did you, did you my have, dad and stepmom. Did you have a reason to try to make their lives a living hell? Was there something behind that? Were they abusive to you when you were I, young? No, I wanted them to be together. So you were angry and at that? I, yes, very angry. I hated the fact that both of them had found other relationships and carried on with their lives. And I was very, very unhappy about that. And my dad, he, he kind of he abandoned it, you know, out of sight, out of mind. 
he ended up with another family and, you know, spent, I, I grew up really disliking my stepmom and my stepdad. Um, yeah, so I, I made life real hard on them. So you and said I you like, you, did you like your stepmom and stepdad? Is that what you said? No, no, no. You did not like them. Okay. No, never even gave them a chance. And my stepmom, she told me I made her glad that she never had a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And my mom told me later in life that I had almost had gotten her to the point where she never thought that she could lose a love for a child and I almost took her there. Yeah, I was I was a very, very rough teenager. I started smoking and uh, smoking weed and cigarettes at twelve. Um, started my promiscuity around that age. I, I was um, I was molested by a neighbor that lived in our in the basement. Uh, I had he lived in your basement. Yeah, we had a house that had the base of. We were in the main floor, and the basement was rented out by a single guy, and uh, uh, he was way handsy. Um, and you know, I'm not sure if there was other things prior to that in my life. I was probably. Oh, I'm going to guess that I was probably six, seven years old when that happened. Wow, so you were very, very young. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I became sexualized. That that sexual awakening happened early in my life. Did you tell your parents? I tried. I tried, and to this day, my mom doesn't remember. They didn't believe you? I told her about it. Uh, I don't think that she didn't believe me. I think that she just wasn't listening. And that was the other thing growing up in the household that I grew up in. I didn't have a voice. You know, I just, I never had a voice. And, and that had a lot of, a lot of effect on me that I know now, you know, looking back at things and, and working in recovery with other people that, yeah, that not having a voice is, causes a lot of issues. Yeah, forcing you to guns. bottle it up. Big daddy guns. Yeah. I mean, I had my dad on a pedestal for years and until I became a teenager and I realized that that uh, he was a deadbeat. My dad was a deadbeat dad. Was. And then when I turned 17, he changed his life around. He quit drinking, quit smoking, got into church, and he totally turned his life around and, and spent the rest of his life like that and you know, did what he could do to try to make amends with us, but it just, it never, never really happened, and he was getting ready to retire, and I thought, oh, this would be the time for that healing with my dad, and then he passed away, had a massive heart attack at 61, didn't even get to see retirement. I was really, really angry with God for a long time about that. I thought, I thought we were going to go through healing. You were going to let us heal, and you took him away. And I spent many years being angry about that also. So I, I, a lot of my life I spent being angry. 
did you did at that point did you stop going to church because you were angry and because I was gonna say that I mean I know probably oh, I actually had I had actually I had um oh gosh well growing up we went to church because my mom made sure that we got on the blue bus every Sunday she didn't go but we did as kids and then I had I had three aunts in my life that always made sure that we went to church as kids and. But then as a teenager, I never went to church. But then when I got pregnant with my first child, then I said, okay, I got to pull myself together. I'm going to be a mom now. And I have to be the mom that I can be for this, for my baby. And I started church, going to church. And um, I spent two years self-willing myself to be good not really understanding that whole church thing, that whole God thing, that whole Jesus thing. I never really understood that until, um, gosh, not until I was in my 50s. So I spent a lot of years not going to church. And I struggled with cocaine on and off all my life from the time I, I started cocaine at 15. I was actually shooting up. Yeah, that's what that I was going to say. I wanted to rewind just a little bit. Um, sure. When was the first time you started using drugs or the first time you were offered drugs? And who was it with? <clears throat> well, the first time I ever did any drugs, which was marijuana, was with my girlfriend. And we snuck joints out of her mom's purse. That's how we started and then that was, you know, it was a, it was a gateway drug for me. Um, that's how I, I started into adding on to my wildness and my, my stubbornness and my rebellion and, and ways to make my family super angry with me because I was super angry with them. And so from 12 to 15, I dabbled with drinking um who is it with we did masculine um well i just I had friends we, we would you know back to when i was growing up the drinking age was 18 so it was real easy to get away with drinking in my era <laughs> way different than it is now and so i just i had friends that i mean i i was i was in a group of we called, in our day, we called us freaks and jocks, and I was part of the freak world. Yeah, Plus it was kind of the same thing. Same, same thing with me too. growing up. Yeah, same thing. Freaks yeah. and jocks so, and preppies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I ended up skipping school all the time with my friend Tammy, and um, she had an older boyfriend, and we would drop him off at work and drive around in her car, in his car, cranking the tunes. He had a 1971 Chevy Chevelle Super Sport with a wooden carved finger on the front of it. We loved that car. <laughs> <laughs> Still remember it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was that car was awesome. And, yeah, and and so you know we went to concerts and so oh, I I did mescaline, I did acid, um, but. The, the the real my real drug of choice was cocaine, 
what, I loved cocaine. What was mescaline and acid like for you? Like, you know, one at a time, what was mescaline like? Mescaline, I only did it one time, and it was at a stick concert. It was really cool. I remember that part. That's all I remember about it. And it tasted good because it was strawberry. It was like the strawberry, the, the strawberry stuff that you mix in your milk. You know, the Nesquik, or the, you know, the, that chocolate strawberry powder. Yeah. Yeah, you mix the milk. That's what it was like. Um, and the, so the stick concert was great. Acid, I, I really didn't like acid. I had a really bad trip on it. And I don't like not have control. So I didn't care for the hallucinating drugs. And uh, I liked cocaine. And then I liked the downers, too. Downers, so you I said? Yeah, I did a lot of quaaludes and cocaine at the same time. Don't ask me why. It's like, why bother? But I just loved the, that, that numbness feeling, that, that, that even keel, coast long, nothing bothers you type thing. I mean, I would do somewhat. Yeah. I would do somewhat similar because I would mix Adderall and Klonopin. So one was up and one was a downer. But it, I'm not trying to you know romanticize it, but it did feel good at the right. time. Like I know what you're saying. It felt good. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think I like. I still like to function, but I didn't like to feel things. You know, so the cocaine helped me function, and. The downers helped me to not be bothered by them, you know? Not be bothered by your feelings? Yeah, yeah, because I did not want to feel. I, I did not want to feel. I was, you know, angry. I was. I had daddy girl issues, you know, with the abandonment issues I had with my dad. I was, um, you know, became very promiscuous at 12, you know, is when I started becoming sexually active for, you know, in my world for me with people my age, you know, with my consent and, um, just carried that through. I have three children by three different men, uh, only married, uh, my daughter's dad after she was born, they did everything backwards. Um, then we were only married for three years. When did you guys uh, meet? That. When, when did you guys meet? Was it in high school? Actually, I never went to high school. I you... dropped out of school. I was a dropout. Barely, I went to ninth grade twice, barely finished ninth grade. You went to ninth grade? I skipped so much. I was, uh, <clears throat> got so far behind, there was just no way of catching up. And uh, then my friend who I first smoked weed with, her and her family moved to a different town. And that's when I left home. I told my mom, I was 14. I said, I'm moving. I'm moving with Candy and their family. I'm, I'm gone. I'm their, out. Their family and took you in? Got, yeah. And uh, my mom, you know, she, she went with it because she said she would rather know where I am than not know where I am. Because she knew I was going to go whether she gave me approval or not. You know, I was, I was just that hard of a kid. To handle to deal with I was a very tough kid to deal with so I uh, moved to another town um, started up ninth grade again did finish ninth grade and then spent the summer being real wild and ended up 
not going back to school, got a job as a waitress. What was and, wild? What do you mean by the when the summer well, went wild? Lots of drinking, lots of parties, um, just a lot of wild stuff. We'd drive by back and forth from the town we were in to Billings, the big town, but you know, was the biggest town in Montana. I was born and raised in Montana. And uh, it was just party, party, party. I had a girlfriend whose, doc, whose sister was bartender, um, whose brothers were drug dealers. You know, um, we just always, I just always gravitated towards that kind of crowd. And then I decided I wasn't going back to school I wasn't going to go to 10th grade, and I got a job as a waitress at Sambo. I worked there for a long time and got involved with a whole bunch of other people. I always had older friends. When I was growing up, I always had older friends. Most of my friends weren't even in school anymore. And uh, had my lived with my first boyfriend when I was 15. Had my own apartment by the time I was 16. Um, I mean, I was, I basically lived like I was an adult. You didn't have to get working papers? Because I remember when I was younger, I think it was if you wanted to work before 16, your parents had to sign off on it, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> no, my parents didn't have to sign off for me to work at 16. I started working at 14 and a half as a waitress in the little town where I was living in with my girlfriend. And there's, you can't work certain hours and you can only work a certain amount of hours. There's a lot of criteria for kids that are under the actual working age. Um, but when I did get, when I started working at Sambles, I, I, I was actually only 15 when I started working there. And one day my boss came to me and told me he was going to have to let me go because I was 15 and I actually had turned 16 he, uh, at, you know, in that process, so he didn't have to let me go. So, yeah. And then I remember another waitress and I decided we were going to move to Washington. So we we transferred Sambo's to, to uh, Spokane, Washington, and moved to Spokane, Washington. It didn't last very long for me. I was only there a couple months, and then I came back to Montana and had to move in with my dad at that point and uh he tried to be a parent at that stage with me when i was 16 and it just didn't go over well i made life even harder on him <laughs> in fact my stepmom told me that that is the era of time when he decided to make those changes in his life when i was fuck wild he would come find me and drag me out of people's houses like is he wanted, was he trying to keep you clean he was yeah he was trying to be a parent and and it's well look, we're gonna work at that stage you know i'd already been on my own <clears throat> you know basically for two three years and i got a taste of not ever having to listen to anybody i still have that problem <laughs> i have a very difficult time sometimes with authority I, I, you know, through recovery, I have been able to to try to, to curb that part of me. I still, you know, I still have that little 
that little wild streak in me. Yeah, you got to. Um, um, life what, has a way of, of helping to tame you. You know? It does. It, it, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. And when I started the cocaine, I was actually, I started cocaine at 15. I was actually working for a friend of my dad in the mall uh, where I was living in Billings, Montana. And um, I had gotten to be friends with another gal that worked there who was a cocaine addict. And then I got involved in that world. My first time walking in to old farmhouse with everybody sitting around Freebasin. Back in the day, that, that was Freebasin was a big deal. And then when I walked upstairs, there was a, people up there were shooting up. And I seen, I seen what they were experiencing, and I wanted to experience that same thing. So I just went wham right into shooting up. So what was, and, uh, um, for those of us who don't know, because I'm not entirely sh sure exactly what it is, what is freebasing? I know, I know that it's, actually, I don't know. So please explain. Okay, freebasing was people smoking cocaine basically in a, in a bong type situation. <clears throat> okay. I, I think maybe that was precursor to crack would be my guess. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't do it. I didn't freebase. I was like, I went straight to the needle. I was like, mm, looks like that's better what they're doing. So that's what I did. And then my friend Karen, she had um, seen what was going on with me, and she wasn't a drug addict. She, um, so she she kind of helped me. Uh, take another path and, and had me take her brother to her other brother in South Dakota and to help me get away from everything. And, you know, and I knew that, um, you know, the death between with female IV users was, was really high. And, and I decided I don't, I don't want to die. That's not how I want to die. And so I took her up on it took her little brother to the big brother and wham, that's when he ended up pregnant with my, my oldest child. I was, see, I was 16, no, no, I was 17 when I got pregnant with him and 18 when I had him. And he's going to be 40 years old in April. Wow, God bless. And he, yeah, he, he's married and has three kids. I have three grandkids with him. My oldest grandchild is 19. Yeah, I have five grandchildren, three kids and five grandchildren. And both of my boys are drinkers, but functional at, they're functional drinkers. They don't, you know, they take care of their business. And my daughter is a functioning addict and alcoholic. I'm not functioning. She is um, active. She's an active addict. She's not drinking at the moment because she's had three DUIs. She's grounded, but um, she's not working any recovery program. She's just being abstinent from alcohol. That's good. So we were talking about you getting out through high school, going on a little bit. What was your, like, you know, mid-20s and early 30s like? 
having babies. I had I was I had three three children by the time I was twenty three. Okay. Well, I was the my 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 twenties and early thirties was raising kids and then um I got divorced in uh, nineteen ninety two and went fuck wild again after that. After the divorce. I uh moved to Minnesota. Um in 1995, in the spring of 1995, uh, got involved with um, the cocaine scene again, and started selling weed and cocaine or crack, and I started dealing um, in my mid 30s. I kind of like what I did. What I did do in my 20s, I ended up doing in my mid 30s. It's like you can't. It's like you still have to go through phases of life, even if it's a little backwards. Yeah. And so they so, give you challenges no matter what. Right, right. And so <clears throat> I'm sitting in jail in my mid thirties, looking at two felonies. Uh, I had crack cocaine on me and I had a gun on me. And uh, it was a very rude awakening that day and I originally had got picked up for the gun and I had some crack on me that I was selling and I didn't think they were going to keep me and they kept me and I had kept cocaine off the crack cocaine on me and when they told me they were going to strip search me all I could do was hand it over to them and I had it all braided up you know, I sold 20s. So I had a string of 20s. And she's like, oh, this really changes things. And so I'm sitting there, laying there on that hard bench in that orange suit going, you are a dumbass. You wait until your mid-30s to get in trouble with the law and just sit here looking at two felonies. You are going to prison. And I was like, man, I was sick to my stomach. I was, I was like, oh my goodness. She comes back in. She says, today is your lucky day. She said, the original arresting officers are off duty. We would have to rebook you or throw them away. And I never got a drug charge out of that. It was totally the grace and mercy of God that I didn't get that drug charge. And I ended up with a gross misdemeanor gun charge out of the gun thing. But went through a real ordeal spiritually with God about the havoc that I was helping with corrupting society in dealing and in, you know, selling to people that were, he dealt with me with that, I think, way more than if I was just smoking. And uh, it was a big, 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 big time in my life. So I quit selling. I did. I, and in fact, I, you know, I had this conversation with God that he, he's like, if you stop selling, I will help make you 
successful in business. And I did. I ended up having, I had a cotton candy business, I had a school bus company. Um, I did all these things, but I did all these things in my own, on my own. You know, it was, I didn't allow God to help me in those things. And, you know, I did do them. I, 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 you can say they were successful. You know, I, I let them go. I was tired because I worked all the time. I, you know, I had two companies plus I was a resident manager where I lived. And so it was like, I just burned myself out. I would just majorly hit a major burnout stage. And I, I, I just, I quit everything. I, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't, I was tired. I was totally, totally burned out. And, and this no is in your thirties. Cocaine I started, it still didn't help me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was, I was. Um, uh, when I when I finally came to that stage, that was eleven years ago. So no, that was in my uh, in my forties. Okay. So if I'm 50, I'll be fifty eight on Friday. That's my my birthday is Christmas Eve. I'll be fifty eight. And 11 years ago is when I bought my house, 11 years ago in October. So when I sold the company, when I got rid of, when I liquidated the company, I was able to buy myself a house. I bought a house. And I sold the house this October, 11 years later, and bought me an RV, and now I'm a full-time RVer. Uh, but... God has taken care of me, but I still, you know, I, I still had, I still have this stubborn wild streak in me. Obviously, I'm traveling around the country now. <laughs> did you have any relationships? Um, so during your 30s, did you have any, like, relationships with men or women or anything oh, like that? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I had a nine-year relationship with uh, Kalea. He was a guy from Chicago. And uh, he loved me to death. But only because I was, um, I, he knew I was a hustler. I hustled that. He loved me for that. And, and that's, he, he lived off of women. That's what he did. He was a womanizer. He could get women to do anything he wanted for them, him. And I was one of them. I was one of five or six. I knew them all. I was in the houses, helped drove cars. You know, I was. In, in the street world, I was basically the bottom bitch. That's what they called it in the <laughs> street world. <laughs> basically, that's what I was. And I spent nine years with that man. Um, yeah, I dabbled in women. Did not like women. I don't, I mean, I don't have any desire to please a woman sexually, none whatsoever. Tried it, didn't like it. That was over with. Um, but also in that process of being with him, I always I always had at least three different men I was at one time, and it was okay with him because he always had all a bunch of other women too. Do you so think you had a sex know, addiction? Um, not necessarily a sex addiction, or it a, was just like codependency, like was, having the need to feel loved or something. Well, that, and and it was because if they can do it, I'm going to do it. 
And if I got involved with men that couldn't commit, then I didn't have to commit either. I had a, I had a real committal issue. I still do. I have a very hard time committing to, to men, and um, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get out of it before they. Do. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna hurt them before they hurt me. That's the kind of mentality I had. Yeah. And I've been celibate now for three, be three, three years in November. I I've been man free for three years, and um, I it's just taken these last three. Three and a half years of my life to, to work on recovery and, and pull myself together and, and become a good person to be there for another good person. You know, I got to get my stuff together first, you know, before I, and I, granted, yes, I'm 58, but it's never too late. Um, and, and I still, you know, I, I do hope one day to have a, successful, functional, healthy relationship with somebody. When you know, when that happens, I hope I'm ready. And I'm trying that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get myself ready and work on me so I'm not such a mess for somebody. You know, maybe what we do have left we can work it out together. Instead of not being I, I just I have no desire to be involved with somebody who I'm not going to end up being with them. I don't even want to waste my time. I wasted a lot of time. I wasted 17 years of my life on men between my ex-husband and other relationships. I wasted 17 years, I feel, on dead-end relationships. Do you feel those years... You had no good times during those years? Do you feel like they were all a waste? Well, I, I... I, yeah, they, they were there. I mean, I learned a lot. Don't get me wrong. I learned a lot of what I don't want and what I don't want to do and what I don't want to have. And I learned that what I, what I need to appreciate and what I deserve, you know, and I'm not going to settle for anything less. And if that means I end up being single the rest of my life, then that's, that's what that means. Because I have no desire to be in a miserable relationship. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. I could totally appreciate I did, that. Know, yeah. It, 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 if it's not meant to be, it's going to be hell. And I don't want to live that hell. I live that hell. You know, with um, other men. And I'm not going to go there anymore. So we were just talking about your 30s and 40s. Let us skip ahead to right about now. So tell us what you have done with your life. I know you owned a house and you had an apartment, but tell us what happened, what you did. Well, I I, I started working on recovery in 2018 and... At that time, my daughter and her two kids were living with me in my house. And I decided that I could not keep living the way I was and that there had to be something better. And I started going back to church and really started tapping into my spiritual side and feeding my spiritual spiritual part of me and, and got a lot of strength from that to, to 
to continue on being sober and clean off cocaine and I quit smoking and so this this brought a lot of um a lot of problems between my daughter and I because my daughter you know was full-fledged was full-fledged addict she was a stripper um she lived that kind of lifestyle she had boyfriends that were drug dealers and I was always looked very well upon by them and so most of the time I didn't even pay for my drugs uh, they just loved Chelsea's mom that was my, my daughter's stage name was Chelsea and uh, so but it, it, I just seen her going down a dark road and it had never taken me you know, not that I'm better than her or anything. She has a lot less. It just, she just, she's in her 30s and still sits around doing drugs and playing Xbox and trying to parent two kids. And I don't know. She never grew up. You know, you know how, how they say we kind of stop maturing at the age that we start getting involved with chemical dependency. Yeah. And, and she's, she's stopped there. That's where she is. And, and, and I see it. And I just, I, I knew the only way that I could help her is that I had to stop. And so I did stop. And, that, and then her and I just was constantly, I ended up moving out of the house. It's like she couldn't get a place to live because she's got some criminal history. So there's just no way. And she couldn't afford to live anywhere, so um, I I moved out and got an apartment. And um, but I'm out. No, you guys can't move. I'm moving. And we rented a room out, and that made it very affordable for her and the boys to stay at the house. And they stayed there for eight years. They lived in the house. It was the only house, the only home my grandkids knew. My two youngest grandkids for till now and uh she decided she wanted to move to pennsylvania so i said okay we're going to sell the house then and we put the house on the market and the house was sold within a week and i bought a motorhome and moved her to pennsylvania and now i'm sitting here in louisiana <laughs> on my way to so I, I gotta say because um so i i know lynette she is um uh she's a regular at our zoom meetings and she's very active in the group and she helps run the group um but i i lynette the way i explain it to people that i know is i say do you know when you talk to some people and they give you the bucket list like oh one day i want to do this and that and you just know they're pardon my language full of shit um, you actually did your dream. You said to all of us a while ago, I'm going to do this, and you actually did it, which is pretty awesome. Right. I, I remember sitting at a Zoom meeting with you, and it was another guy. I, can't, I, I, I don't remember who it was. And I'm like, you guys, I'm this close, this close to living out my dream. And, and I was so excited. And, um, and, you didn't believe it till you see the whites of my eyes. <laughs> I remember. I remember when I came, and it's like you're actually here. <laughs> I actually did it. Yeah. Yep. It was. 
I tell people about that. I'm just like, one of my group members is going state to state visiting our other group members. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I, I love to meet every single one of you guys. Um, I hope to keep doing it because keep going, going around and around. I'm, I'm going to do a full circle this year and let's see what next year brings. Jim's going to be on the move with me next year. Yes, I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to plan some time <laughs> where we can go together. Maybe, uh, like yeah, I said, okay. Graceland. Yeah. If you agree yep, to and, it. And see some of your see some of your members in person. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah. so my last question to you is do you have any advice for anybody that might be listening to this? You know, we we all have to get to a point to where we're just we've had enough. You know? It's like until you've had enough, it, it's, it's not going to go anywhere and you can't quit for anybody but yourself. You know, you have to, you have to want something better and there well, is something better out there. I came up and, with a saying, I had a saying that I wrote, I think it's in our book. We actually, it's on our 10 steps long form where it says we all must come to the admission of defeat before we can defeat anything ourselves. Yeah, Definitely. Definitely, and, and to and to and to tap into the all three angles that that there is of, as 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 people. You know, we, we have our we have our souls, our spirits, and our physical body, and and to take care of all three of those. All three of those are important. Your spirituality, keeping yourself healthy, and keeping your Keeping your um, your soul good, your your mind, your heart, your emotions, get all that stuff in order and in check, you know, and create and get into balance with all those things and and tap into to I my higher power is God. I tap into God and that spirituality and that's how I have been able to be strong enough keep going and to keep going and, and to and, and, and then to be really thankful just to have a lot of gratitude for for all the blessings that have come my way because I am choosing to be good to myself and, and to and to be good to my kids and, and my family and the friends that I have and to just shower who you're meant to be, you know, I think all of us my, my belief is that we're all created uniquely and that each one of us has something to bring into this world, to show this world about who created us. And, you know, when you can start feeling what your purpose is and, and to, to learn that you even have a purpose is, is, is so important. This is you know, Jim. I mean, you, you've blossomed so much creating this group. And, and it gave you a purpose, and a purpose is what helps drive us to, to be successful and succeed and to become satisfied with life, on, on life without having to medicate ourselves or to, to numb ourselves to get through And, you know, life is hard. It's hard. It's not easy by any means. There's no perfect answer. 
and it, it's your journey. You have to figure out what that story is and how to finish your story in your life. Absolutely, yes. Um, yeah, because you mentioned me blossoming and growing because I guess uh, the one thing I'll say is a lot of people don't realize I get nervous for this stuff, you know? I just want to make sure I do right, make sure I do the interview the right way and I get the right questions asked. But, yeah, so did you have anything else you want to share or were you, what are you thinking? Hey, do it. Just do it. Like just Michael do it. says, just do it. You yep. know, it, it, and if you fall, you fall. You pick yourself back up, brush yourself up. Keep moving, keep moving. Just keep moving. Even if it's one step forward, two steps back. Keep going. Keep going. It's going to all come together for you one day, and you're going to sit there and go, wow, wow. And, and to learn to live life joyously. I mean, it, it's, I, I get so much joy from being able to live out my dream, which is living in a motor home and traveling and visiting people and seeing people, seeing the country, seeing all this creation that's out here and just just buckle down and, and saddle up and go for it. There you go. So for everybody listening, I hope you liked what you heard today. And if you do, go to iTunes, give us a rating. You can listen to our podcast there. That is also on Spotify and there's an Anchor and a few other platforms. So you can look out for future episodes. And also check out our Facebook group. If you go to the events tab, you will see under there, there are a ton of meetings that we do. We do daily Zoom meetings and some days we do them twice a day. Uh, always at 630 each evening, Eastern Standard Time. Also, check out addicts-anonymous.com where you're going to see our blog. All that is going to be up and live by next week. We uh, just got our website redone. So thank you for listening, and until next time.